It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, recorders, sorry, IOs, recruiters, HR professionals, and one actor. Uh, We've got a good little group here today, and Dr. Ariana, you're going to be leading us today, and we're going to continue our discussion on employee brand attractiveness on candidate intentions to imply. So maybe you could start off by explaining more to me what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom, and welcome, everyone. It is exactly as you said, Tom, what about the employer brand could attract potential candidates to apply for available positions? So here we like to be a little evidence-based, so I'll bring in some research around employer branding. And a study conducted in 2014 by Chabra and Sharma called Employer Branding Strategy for Improving Employer Attractiveness study the different elements of an organization that would to see what factors would be more likely to attract candidates to apply. So given the many conversations we've had, it's probably no surprise that the preferred organizational attributes were organizational culture, brand name, and the level of compensation. Interestingly, the job portal was a key indicator of employer attractiveness We've talked about that before, how sometimes job portals can be so challenging that you give up. I've personally done that in the past. This has some few years to date that shows that these different factors have been the case, but we're also in an evolving workplace world. So in 2018, Carlini, Grace, France, and Lacona looked at the extent to which corporate social responsibility impacted employer brand. We're seeing that some of these modern factors related to social responsibility, being values-driven, that those can be attracting forces to candidates. But if you talk about your corporate social responsibility, you must also live it out, making sure that there's congruency between what you are establishing as your brand 
and what you're actually living out. So those are just a few points to get us started. And I'm looking forward to see where the conversation goes. Me too. And so if we have a, if we're, if we've got a brand attractiveness, that's, you know, and we usually do that as corporations to attract customers, but it can also be beneficial for attracting employees. So, and we've talked a little bit, or you've mentioned a little bit about the culture. What particularly are people looking for when they're looking at culture? I, you know, I know I keep talking to organizations about that feeling that an employee is part of something larger than themselves. Are those sort of the traits that we're going to be looking for in when we're looking at that brand? Absolutely. I think so. I'd love to hear the other voices in the room. But it will, first, there are some hygiene factors based on Herzberg two-factor motivation hygiene theory, where there are some basic necessities of an organization. So the policies being upheld, there being a sense of organizational justice and fairness in the culture, support of diversity, equity, and inclusion is a brand element that is important to a lot of candidates. Um, But then there can be motivating factors that might be a little more unique to the individual, such as what the organization stands for, what is their mission for existing, what values do they have? And that might create more of a person brand fit where looking at your candidates, they might fit due to values alignment. Interesting. All right, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, this is a a wonderful topic based on the fact that I have been the candidate with intention to apply for for the last stretch. And so even just touching on what applicant tracking system they use, you can get a sense of how important is hiring to them based on, on what they've done as far as job descriptions, what is what does the hiring portal look like? Those are all big clues when I'm looking at something of are they are they taking this seriously? Are they are they really putting some effort in into attracting talent? Or are they the quintessential organization that says, upload your resume. Now input everything from your resume in, into this so that nobody will read it. And I think that one often overlooked element of the hiring process is that's marketing as well. I mean, you get people who love these brands that that jump in and say, I'm a huge fan of organization X and I want to be a part of it. And then get treated with silence or get treated roughly through the hiring process. And now they've lost out on potential talent. And also they've potentially lost a customer because those things are so very intertwined. Let me ask you, Nick, with your experience so far, are you finding that more organizations are doing it right or most organizations are just lost when it comes to this? I think the internet was supposed to be great to fix hiring and it's made the problem worse on both sides. It takes five minutes to throw a basic application at any position that's on the web. And now you've got recruiters trying to sift through thousands of resumes. So as frustrating as it is is to hear silence, I do try to balance that with, I know that they're overloaded. I know that they're relying on, on keyword searches and they're trying to match as best they can. And, you know, the other factors that you can't see as a candidate of, you know, the speed of bureaucracy, um, you know, and all those other internal factors that maybe somebody's already got the job and they're just doing this to to cover their their legal basis and things like that. I think there are more organizations that are are presenting themselves in, in a strong light, focusing on the we give you your birthday off or we have a volunteer day and they have all these things where they're tipping their hand to to what the culture is. And it it is it can feel disingenuous when you're met with, you know, silence or or form rejections or things like that. But my job search has gone on for a long time, so I'm a little bit jaded uh, on the whole process as it is. So take what I say with a grain of salt. 
And now we even have AI engines, which are going through resumes before a human even looks at them. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I, I think this is a great topic. And one of the things that I think is important is, from my perspective, there's a difference between an employer's reputation as an employer and the reputation as a company, right? So in some places, the they're the same. And in other places, they're very different. And I think that you really need to look at from the the company or employer's standpoint, really, what do your potential candidates value? Because it's going to be different depending on what your ideal candidate is. In other words, and and one example is, for example, uh, uh, Starbucks, right? In an industry where, you know, service industry, where the turnover is crazy, right? They've offered their employees help with their their education, right? So that you don't have to be a barista forever. But if you think about that, and they understand that, and and if you have people coming to you because, yes, they will work for you and you will help them advance their career at some point, maybe they don't turn turn over in six months. They might stay with you for two years, and that's got real value. So it's important to understand what your employees or potential employees really value when you're creating that employer or um, brand. The other thing too is with one of the things that Dr. Ariana had mentioned is people's focus on social responsibility. And millennials, Gen Zs value two things. They value your social conscience and they value their opportunity to advance their career. Those are critical pieces. And one thing for companies to pay attention to is to if they're wanting to communicate that to their potential candidates is uh, looking at becoming a certified B Corp. And that's all about social responsibility. You can look at and it's it's not an easy task, but it is very differentiating in the market. And even if you don't go through the whole process, there's outlines of what those components are. And so if you start adapting some of those components, you can create that kind of social responsibility that people are looking for. Isn't there a tug of war, though, for corporations and, you know, and larger companies with, you know, I want to be socially responsible. I want to treat my employees very, very well. I want to do all those things because they they look good. At the same time, a business, you know, a, a business doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a conscience. A, a business has one objective, and that's to make money. How, how do they balance? Go ahead, Linda. No, I, I disagree with that on the fact that on the basis that a company is nothing without the people who make it up. Right. And they all have souls and they all have conscience. It's a collective and it's how you create, you know, work that collective to become a single voice that creates that social conscience. Yeah. And back in the real world, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well said, Linda. And I agree. An organization is nothing if not a, a, a group of people coming together. So if you have soulless people running it, maybe that's where you're going with this, Tom. But, you know, there's so much to consider here. I think organizations can be so heavily focused on marketing to customers and potential customers that sometimes they forget that they need to have a certain image to attract the kind of talent that they would ideally like. And going back to what Nick said, 
if your first interaction with an organization when you're trying to apply for a job there is a painful one, it's very discouraging. Do you even want to continue the application process if that very first step leaves a bad taste in your mouth? So I think that's something to seriously consider by any organization out there. What is the application process like? And setting aside the fact that you may receive a lot of interest, you hope to receive a lot of interest, but that is no excuse to make that first interaction with a potential employee a painful one. There's absolutely no excuse for that. And I think as much time, money, and effort as organizations spend to promote themselves, their brand, and their products or services to potential customers, they really need to give equal effort to promoting themselves to potential employees. If you turn someone off in the first interaction that they have with you, there are people out there, and I'll tell you, I'm one of them. If you make it difficult, I don't even want to work here. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to continue that application process. If this is a hassle, what else do you have in store for me? And I think I'm not alone there. The other thing to consider is this, and I think we've talked about this at some point during our conversations here. Some companies do go to great lengths to have a certain image when it comes to the culture and what it's like to work there and how much they love their employees. And you show up at work and it's paradise and you never want to leave because we give you everything that you want. And there's a place to work out and there's a cafeteria and maybe there's free food and maybe there's a place to work out and take a nap and whatever, whatever else you can come up with. But you have to look beyond the obvious. What is the purpose of that? Is it solely because they love their employees so much? Or is it perhaps because they don't want you to leave? And if you don't leave, you're always there available to them. And I know that it sounds a little bit sinister, but I think everybody knows that not everyone's nice and sinister exists. So we can't always take every single thing we see on face value. So there's so much to consider here. You really, as a potential employee to any organization, you really have to pay attention and be able to discern what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and decide for yourself if it's something that you want to continue to pursue or not. Yeah, totally agree. And anyways, Nick, let's go to you. Tom, I think you're, you're right to, to some degree that there are many soulless purely for profit organizations, they're going the way of the dinosaur at some point. There's too many applicants who want to have some level of purpose, who want to take that longer than quarterly view and say, okay, you know, profits lost, you know, we get layoffs because we have one bad quarter and then you fire or lay off large portion of the workforce only to have to rehire them when things get good again. And so they're the prisoner of the moment, as it were. And so I think those organizations that truly take the longer view, that truly invest in people, that provide the, the benefits that people are looking for of being able to, to have more balance with the gym on site and things like that, not as a way to trap you there, but as a way to genuinely care about your, your well-being. I think that's the, the word that, that speaks out most to me is you can tell when, when somebody is trying to tout a benefit that's hollow. That's just, you know, this is what everybody else is doing. So this is what we're going to do because, you know, this organization is having great success. Well, yeah, the successful organization also 
actually cares and is investing in their people for the long term, not just to to be the the gear in the machine to to make the money. And I hope that as more organizations do take that longer view, and as employees kind of demand them to do so, like I think there are more and more people who say, I'm not going to put up with not putting salaries in the job description to set expectations. I'm not going to put up with a, you say it's 40 hours, but I'm working 50 and I'm not getting what I deserve there. I think that that realistic preview is becoming more and more important. And I think job seekers are, are getting more coaching and more advice. Be, you know, be sure what you want and go find it because it's out there. Don't just take what what's offered to you. And I think, yeah, the, the labor market shifts and is wonky every way, but at some point, you know, the people who you need are going to be able to drive the hard bargain and and get what they want one way or another. It, it's that a huge change, you think, because I know my generation was very much you're lucky to have a job. You know, and that's sort of the, the paradigm that we work with. But I see the generations that are coming up now where they're not taking that. They want a job that's fulfilling. Is that the way organizations have to start looking at all in potential employees? I, I mean, I am not a huge, um, I don't buy into the, the massive generational differences. It's just a, a product of environment. I think that you get a louder voice from millennials and later that say, I want autonomy. I want to be able to take control of what I'm doing. And you can't tell me there's a single, single boomer on the face of the planet that doesn't also want that. They just didn't know how to ask for it or weren't empowered to ask for it. So I think that, that you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander on that level. And I think, yeah, businesses are going to have to change to, to what people are doing. There's There's more automation and that's going to create different styles of jobs in the future. Like there's that the transformation that's happening. You're not going to have somebody who's going to the factory for 40 years, gets their gold watch and goes on. And I think when businesses, and this is purely editorial, went into purely for profit and started breaking their contract of you've got a job for life, we will take care of you, 40 years and a pension. Once that went out the window, now this seems to be kind of the comeback for for the workforce saying i can go somewhere else too if you're not fulfilling my needs i'm going to take my talents down to south beach and move on so. let's go to you tom i just can't believe the stuff i'm hearing i mean i saw it on the internet so it's got to be true right i mean what are we talking about now the uh, some of this goes back to the the old adage of buyer beware i mean you got to take especially with you know in the day of the, the internet and the memes and TikTok and all this kind of stuff, you have to do your due diligence. You have to look at it. And to, to, to Dr. Martha's point, what is your interaction with that company? Because how they treat you at the beginning, probably not going to get better. You know, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And and as far as the, the companies go, I mean, the 80s were a terrible time for business. All the, the layoffs and all the different ways that they changed the face of business and everything else. And now I see we're coming kind of back the other direction. I don't think we're going to go back all the way. We're not going to go back to, you know, 40 years and a gold watch and a pension. But the fact that we have come the circle around to where people have figured out that they have power and that they get a say, they have a seat at the table. And, okay, well, you don't want to treat me like I deserve. You don't want to honor the psychological contract. You don't want to do your part of the deal. Well, you know, there's somebody else who will. And I can I can go and I can do that. And as far as the organizations go, I mean, there's a difference between somebody who has an actual positive conscious culture and those who are virtue signaling. Because, you know, you get those who are out there and they're like, hey, look how great we are. Kiss with babies and loving the environment and all this kind of stuff. And they're really not. They're rotten to the core. But then you have others that you can pretty 
easily with your interactions with this company, you know, as an employee, as a customer, as a vendor, whatever, can figure out that they're, they're walking the walk. And you know, this goes back to, you know, one of my one of my favorites, Simon Sinek, talking about people by the why. Why do you do things? And and the organizations that can articulate, well, first that know, because a lot of them just don't know. A lot of people don't know. What is the why? And if you can figure out what the why is and you can articulate the why, then the people who resonate with that, they're already going to be, be there. You know, that you're not going to have to do the hard sell because they're already bought in. And, you know, a lot of companies just hadn't figured that out yet. But I think I think we're seeing more, though. And it's a lot more than the, oh, we've got bouncy balls and we've got a ping pong table. And, you know, it's great. That's fantastic. But what is your culture? Is the culture sick? Is that are you trying to to put Band-Aid on a spurting wound? I mean, what are we doing here? And if it's just because we love you and we, we want to take care of you while you're here, that's great. But often it's just those ways to try to keep you. And because some companies are actually smart enough to realize how much it costs them with turnover. But many don't, which, of course, is why you should hire an I.O. <laughs> so that we can figure these things out and help you. Because there's a lot of deeper questions, a lot of deeper questions, and we can help you get to the bottom of that. Kind of say it jokingly from time to time, you know, hire an I.O., but this could potentially be a minefield like this. You know, as you say, Leo, the best of intentions can sometimes get us into a lot of trouble. And so I can see a lot of organizations thinking that they're doing this right, but just setting themselves up for, you know, not only themselves, but their those employees for disappointment and and probably job searching. Oh, that's that's the truth. I mean, just think about interviewing. And, and I'm sure Linda Hans got stories on this one. You know, you take some hiring manager who has no business being a hiring manager and you throw them in a room with a candidate to do an interview. Well, we didn't train them. We didn't give them, we didn't give them guidelines. We didn't give them, you know, questions to ask or whatever else. And the next thing you know, they're sitting in there asking some lady when she's going to have, you know, planning to have children. Whoa, you know, red flag, red flag, you know, danger, Will Robinson. And because we didn't do that, which could have been, solved by proper HR or an IO coming in and doing a little bit of training, doing a little bit of job analysis, root cause stuff to go, maybe there's a deeper issue here. You never know in those interviews what employees, you know, potential employees might just reveal. So <laughs> it's because, you know, I remember doing auditions for young actors coming into a program. It was, it was a minefield because Here's the list of questions we can't ask, and here's the list of questions we cannot ask. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't want to be doing it. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, two points on that last comment from, from Lee. I had one hiring manager who was a millennial. It was, I think he still is a millennial. Anyway, I, I had given him a couple candidates, and we I went to him to talk about, you know, who he was choosing to hire. And he made the comment, oh, I'm choosing the male candidate because he's got a family and the female candidate not because you know and it was like don't ever say those words to me again don't ever do that to me again that's illegal not you can't do that you know it's one of those things and then on on his other point was that I had a, a hiring manager that she would like a candidate so forth and uh we I'd go ahead and and make the offer and time after time after time, they were rescinding the offers. And so I had to go and say, all right, we need to talk to you about what 
is happening in those interviews. And I will come and sit and be part of those interviews to figure out what's going on because there was obviously a breakdown there. So, yeah, I mean, those, those kinds of things are happen all the time in companies. But to I want to to Nick's point about jo, uh, the recruitment process and the, the job portal, all those kinds of things. And a while back when I was doing some job applications, it was companies were leaning on the AI and the automation instead of and thinking that that was going to make pro, uh, hiring easier. And it doesn't. If you don't use it properly, it makes the whole turnover situation worse. And you're not getting the ideal candidates. People are choosing process over people. And that's not typically going to be effective. The AI and the ATS and whatever are tools, but you still need to have that human involvement to make good decisions. And I just think that they're remiss in their responsibility in that process. I think that you also need to look at the disconnect between perks and the professional development. You know, one of the things that I I harp on is that employee engagement is a result. It's not a thing. So you can have a ping pong table, you can have a gym, you can have all those kinds of things. And that may not really create the employee engagement because employee engagement comes from, is a result of all the other things that you do. So you can put band-aids, those perks are band-aids, but you can go to a company who has a good professional development process that's really investing in the people that they're, they're the employing and those people will stay far longer than if you have a ping pong table or or gym or whatever and google is a perfect example there are no perks that are missing from google but their average tenure is a year something's missing but does google look at that and go we need to change things or does google look at that and go there's lots of people out there well, I mean, there. that's the thing, you know, you have to look at, are you looking at the employer brand, the, the employer, uh, the company brand, like that part, or are you looking at it as an employer brand? Because for Google, in my opinion, they're different, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to have, who's in tech or whatever, would like to have Google on their resume. So they go ahead and put up with all the crap that's there, obviously, to get that on their resume, and then they leave. But they've got so, you know, thousands of resumes coming in the door every day. They don't even have to work at it. However, I still think it's costing them. That's just my opinion. Me too. <laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Well said, Linda. And I think that is um, that is a shame to put it bluntly because a company like Google, where people do want that on that resume, that gives them the opportunity to not necessarily do things right because perks do not fix a problem that is much deeper, a cultural problem or whatever other serious problem that there is within the organization. But when you are a company like Google, frankly, you're too big for your own britches because you do have so many people waiting to have the opportunity to put your company name on their resume that you very well don't have to care about taking care of those deeper issues because there's always another candidate right behind the one that just left. Going back to something that Lee said about things coming full circle. If we think about the history of work before the Industrial Revolution, 
people did not come together in large groups and factories and work for an employer. That's not how it used to be. People worked for themselves. People had crafts or specialties or whatever talents, services, products that they provided. And so there was no big employer and everybody pile into this building and safety's horrendous and we may all burn when the door doesn't open. But now what we're seeing is more and more people leaving those big employers and trying to do things on their own, trying to work for themselves and using the employer or what used to be the employer is now their client doing projects and services and whatever else for them as, as their client. So this is a perfect example of coming full circle. While the employers still exist, things are shifting. People are sort of going back in time in the tradition of what work used to be. So that in itself is enough for us to pause or should be enough for us to pause both as employers and as employees, because it speaks volumes to our collective. We are no longer interested as a species, as a people, to all pile into one building and work for one corporation or one person. We are seeking more out of the work experience. And so, so many people as a result are shifting back. And I imagine many of them don't even realize that that's how it used to be. Humanity didn't always exist working in a factory or in an office building. People used to work for themselves. So it's very interesting to see so many people shifting back in that direction. But I think it's, it's, a, it's definitely a flag and everybody should be paying attention to that because there are implications all over the place if you consider what's happening with it. Yeah, I, I still remember talking to an economist about a year, year and a half ago, and uh, our discussion revolving around during the Industrial Revolution, everyone moving from the country to the city. But now with the Internet revolution and technology, people are going to be leaving the city and those rural communities are going to start to grow again, which is good for me because I like living in the country. Dr. Oriana, how are we doing so far? Doing so good. We have an amazing group here. I think it is really fascinating what we were just talking about. I do think that the internet and all of these technological sources are re-empowering the individual. I think in the industrial revolution, we saw a lot more of specific types of people, especially, you know, traditionally white men having the most power, the most money to hire everyone. And now the individual is able to create their own website, collect their own payments, provide their own services, and that's potentially a game changer. Another thing I wanted to say was about the perks. I think that's a really fascinating conversation. I personally, for a long time, I've applied for Google at Google a number of times. I was really interested in working there. I was very interested to be engaged with the perks they provided. I was ready to get a massage often and participate in free lunch and maybe bring my dog in. It did seem pretty ideal. Interesting, though, for a company that has attracted so many people through their perks, I saw last month some articles emerging saying that they, I don't know if they got acquired or the company above them, I think it's Alphabet, and now they're repealing a lot of those perks. No more massages, no less 
food benefits. Like, so it's really interesting, just that example as we're talking about it. But more generally, I think perks can be a good thing. I think they can be a demonstration of care. Yes, we're going to give you coffee and we're going to give you some snacks for your morning. Like, I think, I think that's great. <laughs> as long as it's reinforced with leadership modeling of values of people, if there's misconduct in the workplace, addressing it. So it's only one factor. I think it can be a good contributing factor. But as Linda Ann saying, it is certainly not the full pie when it comes to employee engagement. And lastly, I wanted to throw out some trends that I've been seeing in in our industry, in our space of what might be more likely to attract especially younger generation employees um, as we continue to evolve our workplace. If anyone else has anything to contribute to this or any ideas um, on some of the things I'm about to say, I'd love to hear it. One of them is a reduced work week, seeing new evidence for supporting the productivity and sustainability of a four-day work week. I love that one. I like the concept of doing it with the same amount of hours as we, no, the same amount of work hours in a day. So actually reducing hours overall, not forcing 10 hour days, but even just taking out Friday, people can be very sustainable. And I think it's a big paradigm shift. Just the the ratio of having five days on and two days off to having four days on and three days off. I think we all love a long weekend. And if every weekend was a long weekend, I think that that could be tremendous in terms of shifting mental health, supporting more community outside of work, and that those things might have positive effects on individuals that come back into the workplace and might be able to engage more innovatively and more wholly and beyond. I think that relates to some work-life balance trends where we're continuing to try and find that balance for ourselves. Um, Related to corporate social responsibility, at least very close to my heart is actually being sustainable as a company. So continuing to make sure that your organization is not a toxic contribution to the environment. And then lastly, this one's rather obvious, I think, in today's world, but remote work. And more and more organizations are having their employees come back to the workplace. But I saw some research that remote job postings are getting like 50% of the applicants out there. So if we consider what the workplace is asking for, I think that's something that should be considered more heavily. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, And Nick, let's go to you. Um, yeah, all those trends are, are absolutely evident. I know that as a job seeker, seeing people who are willing to kind of get on the front of the wave and say, we we do need to try something different because what's been working isn't going to continue to work. Um, I think that's, that's uh, remarkable. I've seen my wife works for a small local business and they've gone to you know, a four day, 40 week. Yes. It's more of a four ten model, but that was one way that she's like, how do I show my people that I care about them? And so finding finding those ways to you know cover uh insurance or or trim work weeks or, or be flexible with that it's it's retail so somebody's got to be there to actually turn the lights on and then things like that um to the discussion about kind of perks at google and everything like that i think there is an entanglement between you know the the product brand and the employer brand and there's so often just this hero worship of of brands like Google and things like that. Um, and I think Dan can attest to this. All the job search advice is, you know, find the organizations that you want to work for and go and integrate yourself into it. And I I got frustrated. Uh, it's good advice to a degree, but it's like, I, I want to do work that's meaningful. And if that's for the small company down the street or the big conglomerate, you know, downtown, that identity doesn't matter as much to me so long as I'm making a difference in the place that I'm at. 
And so I think there's a there's a shift there. Yes, it's easier that if you can find people to advocate for you. And I know that part of the job search is, you know, all that. But so often, like you'll you'll hear that advice and you've got to go do your best stalker impression on LinkedIn. And they keep so much private for the sake of their employees and all of that. So there's no there's no way to get behind the curtain to one degree or another. You've got to be a hardcore detective. And if you don't have the time, resources, or you know, skills to to get to those people, it creates a disadvantage and you're gonna get kind of pigeonholed into those those starting roles. So as much as I love autonomy and openness, uh, I think being able to, to to find people who are there and and find those employees who want to talk about where they work and want to bring in, you know, people that speaks to to a culture and all of that. And yeah, being able to find those voices and, and get that toehold somewhere as well. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Linda Ann, you're actually on mute. <laughs> I wanted to talk to a couple of things, one of them being Dr. Martha's point of, you know, when we were in basically an agrarian society and people had their ranch or their farm or whatever, and they were solopreneurs, basically, and raised their made their living um, individually. And then through the advent of the Industrial Revolution, a lot of that changed. And it's changing again. And one of the things when Deb and I go ahead and Deb Colazzo and I do our leadership development program, we talk about how leaders today, what's required of leaders today is so different than for the past hundred years because of the fact that people needed to work in those environments and we had a different societal expectation of authoritarianism. But now It's shifting again. And that's why as leaders in the new workforce or in the workforce today, the expectations and requirements of leaders are completely different. And only with that shift will you keep employees at your organization. So where before people stayed because they needed to stay, now people don't need to stay. And so you have to be a leader of a different kind in order to keep those employees at your workforce. And then with regard to Dr. Ariana's comment about reduced work weeks, there's a lot of data coming out, even some recent data coming out. Um, and I know that in England, they've done a significant amount of data testing kind of on this piloting. And I think what they're finding is that the productivity doesn't change, right? It's stable, even though people are not in the office or attached to their computer that extra day. So I think that's an interesting um, result, and I think that it's going to catch on uh, eventually. It'll probably take U.S. a lot longer to catch on than it will other cultures, you know, like in Germany or England or whatever. But I think we will get there eventually. Um, and I'd love to know, Dr. Martha, what was the, or no, Ariana, what was the reason for Google producing those perks? I, I think it was named like just for increased efficiencies and cutting down on operational costs, I think, were the reasons I saw given. I think that if they stop the turnover, they maybe wouldn't need to make that cut. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder what kind of signal that's sending to the workforce, especially for more tenured employees that may have. I mean, if I had gotten used to massages every week, I know I'd be sad. It's all because they want to give more money to the shareholders. To me, it's always the debate. Is leadership listening to the employees or are they listening to the shareholders? I would like to think that that could all come together, but I'm not seeing it. And maybe that's the way we need to change the world. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think that just goes to support Tom's point of earlier 
during the conversation of the soulless uh, organization cutting down on the band-aids that they're using for larger issues. I mean, red flags, people. And I agree, if I were getting massages every week, I would not be a happy woman. <laughs> but going back to something else that Dr. Ariana brought up and Linda continued, the, the four-day work week. I have seen over the years, before it became kind of a new new trend or new goal, for organizations, there have been plenty of organizations that had done reduced number of days, work days in a week for their employees, but they never reduced the hours. So it was always 40 plus hours. And I had a job like that. You did get a day off, but you had to kill yourself on the other days to get the 40 hours in or whatever, however long it took you. But I think what is happening with the, the, the new trend of trying this four day week there are many different studies that are being conducted and we're getting mixed results. Some studies are indicating that productivity is not lost and it's a good thing and employees are happy. Other studies are indicating the opposite, that productivity is lost and people are more stressed out because they can't seem to get their work done. I think what is missing here is looking at the very old data that tells us how much time is wasted at work by employees every single day doing non-work things. So before you tell people, here's a four-day work week, and we're not going to tell you anything else of how to properly manage that, good luck. You have to, I think, really approach this with some sort of training before you even implement it. How efficient are your employees with their time at work? Is 25% of their time spent at the office or working wasted on things that are not work-related? If that's the case, they will drown trying to fit all their work in four days instead of five. It's going to backfire. But if you give them no training, no guidance, nothing, no, no, no help at all, some people may succeed, but the majority will struggle. I am a big fan of working fewer days. But I think it's unfair to think that it's magically going to happen without people being given any kind of guidance of understanding how they're managing their time currently and how will they be successful accomplishing their tasks, being at the office fewer hours, fewer days. We need to we need to start there because I think that is a big root of why there are so many conflicting studies or study results that we're seeing in terms of the four-day uh, work week. But I think it's something that is very much worth going for because I believe in my heart of hearts, none of us were put on this earth, despite of whatever else anybody else tells you, we were not put on this earth to work and work and work and then just die. We are here to live a life some of that time may be work, but it shouldn't be most of our time. And unfortunately, it is most of our time. Yeah. If you spend no more than eight hours a day working, and then if you sleep seven, eight hours a day, what, what does that leave you with? You have so little time to live a life. 
So I think this is a goal we should all embrace, but we need to do it with eyes wide open and not set people up for failure and more stressors at the workplace, but rather give them skills and an understanding of how they can achieve what they need to achieve at the workplace without spending their life there. I think you raise a really good point about, you know, with all the different trends that are coming down the the pipes now, the way that we're actually seeing in real time work changing for people, you know, you need a guide, you need someone to help you do these transitions. So once again, you want to reach out to an IO and bring them in to sort of chart that course. Lee, let's go to you. To, uh, I think it was Linda Ann's point, you know, I think it was Roy Rogers who said, even if you're in the fast lane, you'll get run over if you just sit there. And that's where we see a lot of these things. We get these new trends and we're going to get on the bandwagon, but then we just don't effectively execute and we get run over. And to, to the point of the, the shorter work weeks and stuff, you know, yeah, the people can only, you know, we all have, we're, we're more and more, we have goldfish attention spans. You, there's only so long that people can actually focus on a task before they lose that. And how much time do you have during the, during the day? An interesting thing I found when, when I was still in the Navy was when I was in a staff position and actually had the authority to adjust work schedules because we, you know, non-operational, I guess, that I would give my guys the, the option. I'll let you go when the work is done with the caveat that you stay until the work is done. You know, if that means you leave early, if that means you leave late. The, the flip side is you be here five days a week, you know, 730 to 430. And strangely enough, I never had anyone take door number two and they were motivated. You know, I can get my work done, get the check, I can leave it too. And, you know, and it motivated them to get rid of some of those extraneous activities. I can I can search for the end of the Internet when I get home. I don't have to do that now because if I do my work now, I can go home. And there are some motivational aspects there. Uh, you know, when you're in a pure salary situation, obviously, because, you know, I mean, Military, we're pure, you know, you're paid by the day. It doesn't matter how many hours you work. Obviously, it's not going to work on a on an assembly line, paid by the hour kind of thing. But in a purely salaried situation, if you can give that motivation that, yeah, you can go when your work is done, and to give that training to, to you know, to more efficient. And really, I think a lot of we're going to see more of this trend with the whole, you know, the whole quiet quitting thing, which we've discussed is really more of just a reestablishing of those boundaries of I don't need to do like the gurus in the book say and work 100 hours a week. I don't get paid anymore for that. If I work my eight that we've agreed upon and then I leave and whatever, you know, tomorrow will take care of itself. And as people more and more reestablish and enforce those boundaries and they work on the efficiencies to be able to do what they need to do within those, then I see, I think we'll, we'll see more flexibility to be able to do these modified, you know, shorter Shorter work weeks, shorter work days, whatever else. You know, and you do have to be very careful at how you how you go across this too, because if I give you a six hour work day and you get the same amount done, hmm, what were you doing in eight? And, and so you have to really kind of kind of manage the the thing. And and this also comes back to another thing we've talked about is the difference between leaders and managers. It is incumbent that we have and train leaders in these kind of deals because if I got a guy that's just managing the, the things, this is never going to work. I got to have somebody who's leading the people and managing the things, but leading the people so that we can actually make these changes and we can make them effect, effective. We can make it efficient and we can all make it to little Timmy's ball game. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Manage things, not people, because people really don't like to be managed. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, there's a lot of, of things that are, are swirling around. I kind of equate the the idea of the four-day work week uh, to the, the pitch clock that they put in Major League Baseball this year. I listened to the Rockies opening day game and just the pace of the radio broadcast was, was so much quicker and they're cutting, you know, half hour, 45 minutes off of, of games and people are finding it more entertaining, but there was so much pushback on the idea of you're breaking tradition. You're, you're ruining the game. And so far the, the evidence is proving, no, it's, it's more entertaining because you keep things moving along. And so I think there's a, a parallel with this four day work week, I, I think there are so many employers who are like, I'm losing eight hours from from every from every employee every week. No, you're not. You know, there there are less gaps that they have to try and plug, less transitions, things like that. And I think in all of this conversation, we talk about perks and benefits and and how do you present your culture. And quite honestly, it comes down to the age old, well, it depends because what works for my situation, you know, as a young father may not work for the the aging workforce and, and, and vice versa. So there's there's not one blanket situation, but I think if you give people the autonomy to decide for themselves, okay, we're going to give you a four-day work week. You can either take that as as four eights or, you know, five sixes, whatever whatever works best for your schedule. And I think that that, that freedom allows people to feel like they're invested in making those decisions. And it really does come down to a mindset of how do you determine return on investment? Because at some point very quickly in IO, we get to the very sort of squishy constructs that you're adding value by taking stress off, but where are the dollars? Where can where can you equate that? Um, and I think trying to train business leaders to see those intangibles, those second and third order benefits of these things that may not reflect in the bottom line, that may be you know, a cost drain, but you're going to have healthier, more productive, more loyal people that you've got to look at turnover rates and, you know, general disposition of the office, like how much are those things important to you and your culture? Yeah, I really like the idea of of making it unique that, you know, get rid of the cookie cutters because people are unique in themselves. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I love this part of the conversation when we about the the change in the work week when people talk about, well, we'll just uh, you can have four tens instead of five eights. You have to look at really, is someone able to be productive well in after eight, nine hours? You know, is that really an increase in productivity or maintenance of productivity? And I'm going to say no, right? There are certain times when I go, my brain's just dead. I got to get up and leave. I'm I'm done. I can tell when my body says you're done for the day. And (laughs) um, there's also information out there that says that we actually only work three to four good hours a day. And so when, you know, people say, oh, well, we can do a four hour, a four day work week, we probably can and still maintain that productivity because we're just changing some of the fluff or with the, the non-productive stuff out of the day. And so I think that's something to really look at. Also, I think that something that leaders really and companies need to think about too is setting the correct expectations for their clients. In other words, just because your client, (laughs) one of the the things I was raised on is poor planning on your part doesn't create an emergency on my part, right? And so you've got clients who go, yeah, well, we got got this and and we have to meet this deadline. No, no, that doesn't mean it pushes all down to 
all of your employees to work unreasonable amounts at an unreasonable pace. The other thing that I always say is you can have it right or you can have it now, but you can't have it right now. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but I want it now. (laughs) So I think that that's important that we go, no, you know, if you want your job done well and so forth, then we need to set reasonable expectations and and your employees will um, appreciate that immensely. And to that note, I think that one of that, all of this is a good reason for having really good job analysis so that you make sure that you have the right amount of people doing the right jobs the right way. And, you know, there you go. Take a little bit more work, but you'll have a much better workplace if you do that. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. But Linda Ann, isn't the customer always right? That's another thing that's been beat into our heads, at least by the customers, right? (laughs) So I think as we are all experiencing this latest work revolution, one thing to remember is that what we need to support it to go in the right direction and to be successful is a cultural shift or a cultural change as well. We are so guilty of this in the Western cultures in the United States. Japan is just as bad where the good employee is the employee that never leaves, never goes home, dies of a heart attack at their post, whereas the employee that puts in their eight hours as agreed upon and then leaves at the end of the day, that's the bad employee. We need that to change because we can spin our wheels trying to revolutionize how we experience work. But if our collective culture continues to look down upon self-care and proper life balance, then we are fighting an uphill battle. This is why it's so important that we engage collectively and have a cultural shift to get away from the lunacy of working ourselves to death for, I don't know, some imagined pat on the back, because that's all it is. So it's important that people share the Work Cookie podcast (laughs) and we get this message out. Uh, Dr. Ariana, with that, uh, we're almost out of time. Um, Let's go back to you for some final thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've had a great conversation talking about what will attract candidates to your organization, what organizations can think as we continue to evolve our workplace, and hopefully some interesting ideas for those considering opportunities for improvement. Thank you all for joining us today. I don't think we have any updates to share. So Tom, back to you. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts and making this a great conversation. Uh, If you're listening to the Work Cookie Cookie podcast, uh, please continue to share it. And together we can change the way that work is done. Uh, (laughs) And that will be a beautiful world. Uh, So that's it for all this week. And Dr. Ariana, if you'd like to count us out, we will see everyone back in one week's time. I'll count us out in three, two, one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com. <laughs>